Mic on. And now, folks, I present... Zero minutes remaining. Mic off. Mic on. The next episode of... Mic off. Mic on. Winter camp meeting, February 3rd. Wednesday morning, first meeting. Mic off. I might. <laughs> you know, my, my dad's uh, experience with hearing aids that none of them work, you know, but I, ho I hope I don't have the same problem. Are we ready? Okay, here we're going. Welcome to the 2021 Winter Camp for the Blind. Here it is uh, Wednesday already. Uh, Randy, did you want something to say? R Randy? <laughs> We're online. <laughs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Uh, today's Wednesday, and uh, it seems like the time is going by really fast. This morning, uh, we'll have Pastor Fred have our worship after we have the song service and the prayer and the special music. But then <clears throat> later on this morning, we're gonna have Debbie Fichek uh, continue her lecture on healthy living. And then this afternoon at three o'clock, we'll have Dr. Alan Patterson come and talk to us about depression. And then we'll have our Bible lesson at seven o'clock tonight. By the time we take in these meetings, uh, have breakfast, do some exercising, and uh, we're pretty busy all day long. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see. We'll, let's have a song service uh, starting right now. Let's turn in our song books to page 24 in the camp book. Father God, just for today, help me walk your narrow way. Help me stand when I should fall. Give me the strength to hear your call. Oh, may my steps be worship. May my thoughts be praise. May my words bring honor to your name. May my steps be worshiped. May my thoughts be praised. May my words bring honor to your name. Father God, just for today, help me walk your narrow way. Help me stand when I should fall. Give me the strength to hear your call. May my steps be worshipped, may my thoughts be praised, may my words bring honor to your name. 
May my steps be worshipped, may my thoughts be praised, may my words bring honor to your name. Okay, let's turn to page 15. I am a Christian. I am a C-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. I am a C. I am a C-H. I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. And men, and I have C-H-R-I-S-T in my H-E-A-R-T. And I will L-I-V-E-E-T-E-R-N-L-L-L-L-L-Y. I am a C. I am a C-H. I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. And I have C-H-R-I-S-T in my H-E-A-R-T, and I will L-I-V-E-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-L-Y. Okay. Let's, I have a hymnal here. to find a song here. Let's turn to page 457. I love to tell the story. I love to tell the story of unseen things above of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story, because I know tis true, it satisfies my longing. As nothing else can do, I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story, more wonderful it seems than all the golden fancies of all the golden dreams. I love to tell the story it did so much for me, and that is just the reason I tell it now to thee. I love to tell the story, twill be my theme in glory. To tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story, tis pleasant to repeat. That seems each time I tell it. More wonderfully sweet, I love to tell the story, for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. I love Tell the story will be my theme in glory 
Unknown to me, I um, learned about Adventists at a uh, like age seven. I had a friend that lived down around the corner, and I'd go over to their place. And I was going to um, VBS uh, at the Adventist Church in Edmore. And while I was uh, going to church with him there, um, my friend Tim. He uh, outgrew a suit, and his mother tailor fit that suit down to my size. It made a major impression onto me, and I'd never really realized it was Adventism. I I was just a young kid. Um, uh, it, it was such a blessing learning the songs like last night I sang a couple songs um, the B-I-B-L-E um, and having that second verse it, it's the cornerstone of Jesus shedding his blood for me Amen. It, and it, it's the B-L-O-O-D that Jesus shed for me he shed for all of us yes but if I was the only one, he would have did it for me as well. Um, I come from a very poor um, background. Um, when uh, I was five, our family burned out of our house and on the, uh, my dad's property, my grandpa was living down there and um, we moved in there. There was uh, no indoor facilities nor um, water. Um, 
It was go out to the pump, pump your own water. Um, there was uh, outhouse that in the wintertime, it, it got quite chilly, but it still had a nice path getting back and forth to it. Um, I was, uh, we moved from that place um, like four miles uh, away and I lost track of my friends and stuff. It, everything seemed to be okay. We started um, going to the Baptist church. They would come over and pick us up and we would go to church with them. Um, and I was kind of like I am now, quiet and shy, <laughs> like I am now. I have to m m paraphrase that part because I'm not quiet or shy. I don't think I ever have been. Um, but I uh, grew up uh, about the, uh, by the time I uh, was 12, I, I had a, seemed like a halfway decent grasp on the Lord. But then my dad passed away when I was 12, and uh, by the time I was 13, I was drug-ridden, uh, alcohol, you, you name it, I was promiscuous. Um, the, the, in, uh, I uh, was just a big mess, a very big mess. Um, I, I'm pretty stocky, pretty um, strong. Um, I would not get in fight with, fights with other students because they didn't have anything that could challenge me, but I was one of the worst. I I was calm when I'm calm, but when I was upset, uh, I got in a fight with teachers, principals. Uh, not good, not good at all. And I don't recommend doing that. Um, I didn't um, get into any like English or math or anything until I got to the fifth grade. And then while I was in the fifth grade, my uh, fifth grade teacher taught me a little something uh, about math. And then I excelled from nothing to 98 percentile throughout the United States back in 75. Um, it was in 76 when my dad passed away. and. Um, I made the wrong friends, did the wrong things. Um, we all have these testimonies. I, and I, I've even woken up behind uh, snowdrifts on the main, main street of my, uh, my um, hometown. Um, there was a lot of uh, things going on. Um, I was... Uh, I got married a month after my um, youngest was born, and eight months later, I started my divorce. Um, she um, had a extramarital affair, and I, I it took me three hours, I mean, two hours to get from Flat Rock, Michigan to Mount Pleasant, Michigan, and my anger was extreme. I, I was thinking of, how many different ways I could kill them off. Um, but then by the time I got up there, I realized I have children. And if I did anything like that, um, I'd be put in prison. My children would be in um, some place where I don't want them. So I um, made my peace at that. and. Um, I had a friend of mine, his sister was going to a Pentecostal church, and she was really cute. And I went to the church expecting to pick up on the girl. In the process, I, I don't believe in, well, let's leave that alone. Um, I was uh, going there to... Um, date the girl, and while I was there, guess what happened? The Holy Ghost grabbed a hold of me. Um, 
I was smoking, drinking, doing drugs, and it's been 28 years since I, uh, I um, came from church, and I said, in Jesus' name, I'll never smoke again, and he took the urge away from me. The alcohol, the drugs, the smoking, I have no problem with any of those. I'm a much better man for it. When I was drinking, I was an arrogant drunk. I never got in fights, but if there was a fight, I was one to break it up. Um, I um, started dating a, a girl that I knew from a long, long time. And while uh, we were dating, I got hurt at work and my um, back got messed up so I couldn't go to work. And I, I, have a, I had another friend that worked for an Adventist and he was watching videotapes of Doug Batchelor, Mark Finley and all them. And he let me watch, uh, watch one that he got from his boss. And while I was watching it, my girlfriend's neighbor came over and seen Mark Finley, and he, the, um, there was, her, her dad was doing all the videos uh, for um, Cedar Lake Church. And he would loan me, a, yeah, I got up to three tapes a week that I was watching. And that year was 1997, and um, the, there was a door knocker on the uh, little piece of paper that they hang on the doors for Doug Batchelor's seminar. And I um, went to it at Cedar Lake a, in 97. And in April 1998, I was baptized Seventh-day Adventist. Um, there's a lot more of my life that is... It would take, like they say, many books to fulfill. But thank you for listening, and praise God. In this um, blind camp, if you get a chance to volunteer for it, my blind friends have more insight than most of my sighted friends. God bless. Amen. Amen. You're welcome. Appreciate all your help. We appreciate Amen. all your help. I, I get more of a blessing than you guys give me. I mean, I give you. That's the way it works. Amen. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it God works. God bless, guys. Our Heavenly Father, today we thank you so much for Randy. We thank you for his testimony of how you have worked in his life. We ask that thou continue to be with him and continue to be with the rest of us too. We ask that thou be bless us this day, keep us safe from any harm or accident, and we ask that thou just be with the presenters that the Holy Spirit will fill them so that we may be drawn closer to thee. We thank you for answering our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. And when I think 
of God his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art! When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart! Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God, how great thou art, how great thou art, my love. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Thank you. Perfect song to introduce this, this subject. Um, Isaac, trusting God's power. <laughs> God reveals himself as all-powerful. This is, this is really an exciting story. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, as we turn to this, another story of a hero of faith, we recognize that you want us to know how great you are. We want us to trust in your greatness. We want us, you want us to serve you with everything we have. We praise you and thank you for this in Jesus' name. Well, we're ready for Isaac. We've had sort of an introduction to this with the two stories we looked at yesterday, Isaac's daddy and Isaac's mommy, Abraham and Sarah. Um, and, and we've just looked at a little bit of this. You already remember the name Isaac means laughter. Isaac was a happy child, an easy child to rear. Now, some of you know what that phrase means. <laughs> some children are easy to rear and some are not. I don't think Randy was an easy one to rear. <laughs> but, but Isaac was. Isaac was eager to obey. When he was told to do something, he just did it. He was, he was that kind of a child. Um, he tried to please his parents. So he took instruction well when they told him what was to do. He said, okay. He was, he was very, very um, good boy. And that's not to say that those who aren't can't make good Christians and good servants of God, but he was, he was, a, he was a joy to his family. And, of course, his parents were old enough that they were experienced before they had him, there is some benefit of having some seasoning before you start having children. So, um, we're going to look particularly at two crises in Isaac's life, and he handled them beautifully, but as we look at them, we say, yeah, that's some pretty serious stuff. First one, um, Isaac was about 20 years of age, at least almost 20. Um, Abraham had done some foolish things, and that needed to be confronted. And so God woke Abraham up one night, middle of the night, and said, better read this straight from the Word, Genesis 22, 
Verse 2, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. We know, Abraham knew, God is not into child sacrifices. Human sacrifices are pagan. They're not God's way. So this was a very confusing thing. But Abraham had talked with God enough that he recognized God's voice, and he knew God's saying this. And you've got to do what God says to do. He's learned this through bitter experience. And so he got up that night. The story tells us that he saddled a donkey. He got a um, couple of his servants up. He got Isaac up. He did not get Sarah up. <laughs> huh? he, he knew that this would be uh, very hard on the mother, and, and I don't think he had any reason to consult with her. God said it. I must do it. And uh, I am sure those next two nights, he didn't sleep a minute. It took, it took two, three days of travel to go from Beersheba, where he was, up to near Jerusalem, where the mountain that God was showing him was. So the Bible mentions that he split some wood so that they would have wood for this sacrifice, loaded it on the donkey. And so the four of them are making the journey. Abraham during the daytime hours, is, is trying to act like everything is cool. He knows what he's doing. He knows where he's headed. But at night, he couldn't sleep. He was wrestling with God, saying, God, I know you said this, but I, I, it's so hard to imagine. And, and how can I do this thing? He uh, got to where he saw the mountain. And in verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Now hear that statement of faith. Abraham says, we will come back, even though Abraham knows he's going up the mountain to put his son on an altar and sacrifice him there to God. I should pause here a minute. Um, People ask me, why? Why, why in the world would God ever do such a thing as that? God is not into child sacrifices. Remember Abraham's story. He had doubted God's ability to take care of him. Abraham had lied about Sarah, calling her his sister twice, both to Pharaoh and to Abimelech. That was a statement of, I don't trust you, God, to take care of me and my wife. That doubt needed to be addressed. And then, to make matters worse, he had taken a second wife, Hagar. Contrary to the principles and practices of God, God designed that we only have one spouse, that we be loyal and faithful to that one, till death do his part. And here he had brought a rival wife in, and that had been dealt with. God had sent, had Abraham send Hagar away. That was a form of divorce. Abraham had this woman that he didn't belong with, and God said, get rid of her. And he loved her, and he loved her son. But God said, no, this is messing up your relationship with Sarah. You've got to get rid of it. Strong statement by God on that. So, but that was a lack of trust. Uh, God upholds the sacredness of one wife. So now, God has to say, okay, Abraham, you failed a couple of other tests. I need you to handle the hardest test that I am giving to any human in history. Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom you love. And sacrifice him on a mountain that I will show you. So he has gone to the place. He's left the servants behind. And he and his boy are on the way up the mountain. He's laid the the wood on the sun. Well, this is a 19-year-old boy. He can handle carrying this wood. Abraham's a 120-year-old man. And everybody thought that he was getting old and advanced in years and getting tired out. He still had another 50 years to live, but, but um, people didn't live, most people didn't live that long, only because Abraham was a uh, 
child of God, a servant of God, living the health principles that God had given, did he have the vigor to live as long as he did? Most people were, would have been dead long before Abraham even took his son up the mountain. So he was an old man. Everybody thought he was an old man. And so he's carrying the fire, and Isaac's carrying the, the wood. And it's, it's translated very carefully here. Verse 7, Isaac speaks to Abraham, My father, here I am, my son, look, the fire and the wood, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, we reading this today recognize that this teenage boy is very politely saying, uh, Dad, did you forget something? <laughs> Dad, we've, we've got everything we need for this sacrifice except the sacrifice. And Abraham, instead of telling Isaac at this point, they're still on their way up the mountain, Abraham says, verse 8, I, tears in my voice as I read this thing, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. <laughs> what a statement of faith. It's not time yet to tell his son what's being provided, but it is time for him to tell his son, I'm trusting God to take care of this thing. And that lamb, first of all, the lamb that's being provided is Jesus. And in Abraham, we see a story of God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, every one of us, can trust in him and find grace and peace and power and life. Ah. Notice clearly, as you look at this story, Isaac is a strong, healthy young man. He could have said, no way, Dad. I'm not, I'm not into this thing. I, I'm not ready for that. He could have run away. He could have overpowered his father. He could have resisted. He could have fought this. But no, he says, Dad, if that's what God said, I want to honor God. The emphasis in James when this story is retold is on Abraham, but recognize Isaac too, who's the one we're looking at this morning, is involved in this. Some will say, I'm in James chapter, uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Someone will say, you have faith, but I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, faith without works is dead. You can't have faith if you don't demonstrate that faith by our acting trusting in God. And then verse 21, Abraham, our father, was justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar. Do you see? Faith was working together with his works, and by works, faith was made perfect. What a statement. So we're up the mountain. Abraham has said, son, this is what God tells me to do. When we see people paint pictures of this, they usually have Isaac's hands bound. I have a picture in my mind that Isaac said, Dad, I'll just lay there on the altar and let you do what needs to be done. And with his eyes open, he watches that knife as it's raised in Abraham's hand to be plunged into Isaac's chest. And they together hear the voice, the voice of God to Abraham. I turn to the New Testament. Let me turn back to that Genesis story. Angel of the Lord, capitalized angel, I believe this was Jesus, called to Abraham from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham says, yes, here I am. And God said, do not lay your hands on the lad nor do anything to him, for now I know that you trust God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Afterward, Abraham would say, would say that God had saved his son from death, as it were, raised him up from the dead. Abraham had the faith that God could do that, and in type it was fulfilled here. And of course, Isaac, having been freed now, gets up off that altar, and they looked around, and there caught in a bush by his horns was a ram. 
you wonder about this. But we've learned to trust God. He makes the provision for us. And he sometimes blinds our eyes that we do not see what is right in front of us until it's right for us to see it. The, the story that makes the most sense to me was that that ram was stuck there all the time, just sitting there quietly with his horns stuck in the, in the bush, and they just hadn't even seen it. They were busy looking at other things. I think the altar where Abraham had laid Isaac was an altar that Abraham had built years before. And so they went and started using it and didn't even notice. But now at the right time, and that's my God, his provision is right on time delivery system. We can, we can get impatient thinking, well, I need to know. And he says, you don't need to know yet. I'll tell you in time. And he does. He tells us in time. So um, this, this lesson is huge pointing forward to Jesus. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was a gift given to humanity, not merely for the 33 years of his life on this earth. Jesus was a gift given to us forever. I believe Jesus has voluntarily limited himself. He's still fully God, but he has limited himself in some significant ways to this human body and this human existence. By this act, God has raised us, the human family, from a position where Adam was when he was created to a position higher than that, higher than the angels, because we have become, by Christ's action, brothers to Jesus, sons and daughters of God. Huge stuff, amazing, just wonderful and thrilling. Philippians 2 has, I didn't put my marker in here. I looked it up, and I usually try to put a, put a marker in so it's easy to turn to it. But this one's, my Bible's pretty worn to this page. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So by this we're being invited to act like Jesus. That's what the word Christian means anyway. Jesus, verse 6, being in the form of God, truly God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but, verse 7, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, yes, even the death of the cross. Jesus permanently limited himself. This story invites each of us to lay ourselves on the altar, letting go of everything near and dear for the sake of Jesus. Next story. I told you there's two stories in the life of Isaac that are really, really noteworthy. The next story has to do with the securing of a spouse. Every young man is looking forward to the time when he gets married. And tragically today, a lot of people are jumping the gun and pretending before they really are married and things get really messy. And I don't need to explain those details because you have in your community, possibly even in your own family, illustrations of this trouble that comes by running ahead of God's ordained plan. Isaac chose to wait for his father to do what Families were expected to do in that society, find him his wife. He patiently and quietly waited for his father. He reached the 20 years of age. We mentioned that with this first crisis. 20 more years went by. His mother died. And then finally his daddy said, you know, it's time for me to get a wife for you, Isaac. And he did not say, Isaac, I'm going to send you to where you can find a wife. I think one of the reasons my parents encouraged me to go to Andrews University to go to college was because they knew there were a lot of godly women that would be going to that school. And that's a very valid reason to go to a Christian college. Isaac was not sent away to find a wife. 
they did look around in the camp and in the community, and there was not a godly woman whom Abraham felt impressed would be appropriate for his son. So, and this takes us another couple chapters deeper into Genesis, Genesis chapter 24. Abraham calls his old, uh, this man who'd be in his, probably in his 80s or 90s anyway, Eliezer, and has him pledge to go where Abraham feels impressed by God, a wife will be found. Go back to Haran. Abraham knew that his brother and his family were still worshiping God, but their worship of God was polluted with some syncretism, and it wasn't pure, but, but it was a pointing in the right direction. And so he said, I believe God has provided a wife for my son in my kinfolk in Haran. Eliezer made the promise. Eliezer took, catch this, it comes be even more significant tonight when we look at his son's experience. Eliezer took 10 camels loaded with treasure and some servants, and they went to Haran. When Eliezer gets there, he says, God, I don't know how to pick a woman for my master Isaac. You're going to have to help me. And he has the sense that God will help him, and God does wonderfully. He makes a prayer to God, saying, God, this is how I want you to show me who the right one is. When I ask the pretty girl that I think might be for a drink of water, she will not only give me a drink of water, but offer to give water to my camels. Now, most of you probably already know, <laughs> a camel that's been for weeks traveling across the desert can drink 20 gallons of water. <laughs> yes, <laughs> not just a little bit. They have, they have systems that... It, it's really interesting to study the way God made camels. Even, even the shape of the red blood cells in their body is, is special so that they can handle this great influx of uh, hydration all of a sudden, and it, it, it works for them. <laughs> Miraculous. But uh, Rebecca knew what she was getting into. She was a part of a family that raised livestock, and so she understood this, and um, when he said to this pretty girl, he said, I'd like a drink of water. Now, in that culture, if you ask for a drink of water, you're going to get it. They, they, are, they consider it a, uh, a life obligation to fulfill the request of anyone. I believe that Samaritan woman gave Jesus a drink. Some people say, it doesn't mention it in the story. In that culture, <laughs> once he asked, now she asked some questions, yes, but... The, wa the water was available. Rebecca not merely gave him the drink that he asked for, but she, as he had pled with God a sign, offered and fulfilled watering those camels. She had no idea what she, what she was getting out of this. That very moment, he gave her some rich jewels that were worth way more than the few minutes of work that she had invested, as hard as that work was. But the, the invitation to become the queen of this whole household of Abraham and soon to belong to Isaac, what a gift. And she didn't even understand what that gift meant at that time. So um, I believe this was the second significant crisis in Isaac's life. And how did he handle it? By choosing to trust in God. By choosing to trust in God's provision of a father who would secure for him an appropriate bride. And the, the story is really very succinct. Chapter 24, verse 67. When he saw her and they came together, Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Tempting to drop the story there, but there's one more scene that is worth just taking a glance, glance at. They were married for 20 years. And Rebecca says, hubby, don't you think you ought to ask God that maybe it's time for us to have kids? 
she was not able to have any children for whatever reason. Sometimes God closes up the womb and science has shown that as often as not, it's the father's issues rather than the mother issues that are making it so that we don't have any babies. And we've got some phenomenal systems today where we can um, in vitro fertilization do some amazing things. But um, they didn't have that then. And so they prayed. That's probably the best solution anyway. <laughs> and they said, God, we believe that you've made a promise that we're going to have children to multiply and become like the sands of the sea. We're not seeing any fulfillment yet. Please do something. And so in uh, chapter 25, verse 20, um, 21, Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So here we have this this crisis, I find, I tie it with the crisis of, of marriage. Isaac is submitting his way to God. A powerful lesson in the life of Isaac that reaches down to us today. How are you demonstrating your love, your trust of God? God has made promises. Promises to us personally. We need to take hold of those promises and claim them by God. There are at least 365 promises in Scripture that we can claim. Let's claim them day by day. We can invite God to direct the affairs of our life. Some things happen that we say, I don't understand that. You may have noticed a significant part in Randy's crisis was the death of his father. The death of a loved one brings a crisis into our life. We need to trust God. We need to trust him that these crises he will use for his glory. And when issues arise, as Isaac and Rebecca, they're not having children, and they say, something's the matter here, turn to God. Look to God first because he's eager to fulfill all of our needs for his glory. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the story of Isaac, for his joyful outlook on life, his peace, his happiness, his trust in you. Lord, we invite you to work in our lives. Give us the experiences we need that our trust in you can be strengthened and shine forth for your glory. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to have breakfast pretty soon, so I guess I will dismiss you. Have a good day. Mike on. Well, folks, that's all. Bye-bye. Are speaking up about... Mike on.